Welcome to the vineyard. Very glad you're here today. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Kids are getting settled. We're getting ready to go again. I like to see your faces, so I take a moment to do just that. Good. This series that we're in is about hope. I want you to remember that. That's the the big overarching theme. There's a lot of sub-themes, but the big theme is hope. And uh, Peter told us that we need to be ready, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. And so we're talking about, A, what our hope is. And, and remember, our hope is, is bigger than sometimes we've realized in that there's a time coming when uh, in Revelation 21, we see heaven comes to earth. It comes out of heaven to earth. The earth is renewed, restored. We get new physical bodies, and things are returned to the way they were before the fall. Um, that God is so good, he wasn't going to give up on creation. And so he's, he's just found a way to renew it and restore us and put us back into the way it was supposed to be. And that's our hope. And um, sometimes we have a different, we thought of a different sort of end point, and we just thought we'd maybe float off and uh, be hanging out with a harp somewhere on a cloud. And for some people, that just wasn't very, they thought, really, forever? That's what we're going to do? And uh, you'll get a season of transition. I don't think it'll be, you know, that that's not a good picture. I don't think we'll be hanging around with a harp on a cloud. I, we're going to, you're going to get right into the throne room of God and you're going to get caught up into some of the most awesome worship that's ever happened anywhere. And we touch on it sometimes here. Uh, and, and it's just going to be so amazing. And you'll spend uh, your time, you know, that's my thought. You'll just be caught up there with God. You'll be like, wow. And every now and again, you'll see somebody. And you're like, hey, but that, oh, but we got to worship. Oh, wow. And then all of a sudden, Jesus say, come on, let's go. And we come back and you'll get a brand new body. Well, that's going to be so good. I, I know I stop every time I say that because I'm always got some little pain or something. I think, you know, that won't be there anymore. It's going to be all new, incorruptible, amazing. And that's what we're heading back towards. So that's our hope. Well, to be ready to talk about that, we need to sort of know how the story works, the bigger picture, all the stuff that's going on in the Bible and understand how amazing it is. And and uh, a lot of believers haven't made those connections, and so we're, we're trying to make them. And it was happening there in the New Testament as they were writing. All of a sudden, these guys were connecting Old Testament stories that they knew with what Jesus did at the cross and the resurrection. And all of a sudden, it was making sense. And we've already, for 10 weeks or so, we've been looking at a bunch of those things. And a couple of weeks ago, we were in the Gospel of John, and I said, there's a lens to everything. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And then we were in Mark last week making connections. And the themes that we're looking for about exile, exodus, and tabernacle, because those run throughout exile. What's happened to us when we decide to follow other gods? Exodus is God's rescue plan that he continues to do for us because he is God. Tabernacle is he wants to dwell with us. And those are the pictures. And so we're we're looking at those pictures a lot. And we're talking about the kingdom of God. And we're going to deep dive into the kingdom more starting next week. But we're touching on it. And I, I want to bring it up every time we talk. Because when you hear kingdom of God, I don't want you to think about a geographical place, which is what you're used to doing. And without realizing it, you think of heaven, the kingdom of God, well, he must be talking about heaven, and heaven is a million miles away or whatever, and there's a big separate, and that's just not what's happening. The kingdom of God is his rule and reign here 
on earth. Um, that's why we pray for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And, and so the kingdom is here, just not fully here, but his rule and reign is here. That's what we're going to talk about with the kingdom. And that also that other big idea that, that heaven and earth aren't millions of miles apart. They overlap already. We're in overlap because Holy Spirit dwells in us. Jesus was a picture of the overlap, fully God, fully man. It's a picture of temple and tabernacle, place where heaven and earth connect. And so those things are already happening. And so quit thinking of uh, heaven as being way off. There's a connection. There's an overlap already. It's a, it's a, it's a realm that, that we're very, very close to. Okay. So those pictures need to be in your mind. And uh, we're going to dig into Luke here in just a moment. Great story that we're going to do together. Uh, bad jokes. Uh, oh, according to my counselor, I have real trouble verbalizing my emotions. I can't say I'm surprised. That's way better than... I've had a hard time figuring out why I don't consider cottage cheese truly cheese. But now that I've said that, it just occurred to me. Oh... Back in the day, my daughter once asked if I could braid her hair, and the result was apparently not. (laughs) My wife just made a face. This is how I feel when I come up after those jokes. (sighs) Come and rescue me, because once again, I've put myself off in bad joke exile. Yes, you have. You need Jesus to rescue you from those, dear. Angie and I were just saying, we love cottage cheese with pineapple or peaches or pears. He's never eaten cottage cheese. No. Billy doesn't like it's it either. It's like sour milk that somebody's repackaged. Good. Right? Midwest. He's like, look, the milk's gone lumpy. Maybe we can sell it. <laughs> that was the best joke of all of them. Okay, my turn. <laughs> he was going to go off. Did you see it? All right, let's press into Papa. Get spiritual before we read the word, shall we? Lord, let your kingdom come again. Father, with the word of your mouth and your mighty right hand, you scattered the stars in the sky. You set the planets into motion and you created every living thing. And your heart's desire is to dwell in us. Father, I pray today that as we get ready, Lord, you would deepen that connection for all of us today. That we would truly crawl up in your lap and hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me, please, for the reading of the word? This portion of scripture is called the road to Emmaus, and it's kind of long, so I apologize that y'all are standing. But it's really good. Luke twenty four thirteen through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they walked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened yet there in these days? 
What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was the prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread. He broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Blessed be the word of the Lord. You can be seated. There are so many things happening in that passage that we could talk about, but uh, I want to I want to get focused. And we've, we've talked about that passage before because I, I just love it, what's going on. Let me, um, let me tell you that it's the day. It's Easter Day, as we would know it. Uh, it's right after the resurrection. And um, there are two disciples in this story. One of them is named Cleopas, and the other one is not named. And uh, I believe, and th- there's reasons to believe what I'm about to tell you, is that these, uh, this was actually a couple, Cleopas and his wife. It doesn't have to be for the story to work, and it doesn't say, because invariably someone will say, where does it say that? It doesn't, but it doesn't say that it wasn't Cleopas and his wife. And the way that Luke writes, um, he, he, Luke weaves in, like all these guys, these amazing stories, and I, I think he makes a connection with another couple uh, earlier on that we'll talk about at the end. So I believe in what's happening. And what you need to know about this couple is that they have, uh, they have just gone to Jerusalem and they're convinced on their way there that what's about to happen is that Jesus is about to overthrow Rome. Now, we've been talking about that a lot, that all the, all the disciples, everybody believed that a Messiah was going to come who was going to overthrow Rome. That's what they were looking for. And they'd been waiting for that for a very long time. And the timing was about right. We looked at that. We looked at a prophecy last week in Daniel 9. And we, we talked about the, the 70 times 7, you know, 490 years. And we were right about there historically from exile. And so they were on alert. And they were convinced someone was going to come and was going to get rid of Rome and restore the kingdom to Israel the way it was in the time of David. So that's all they can see. Why do I keep bringing that up? Uh, 
oftentimes God is going to do things that we don't expect. And if we get him sort of crunched into a little box, which we can't, we're going to miss what he's really doing. And so they had gone to Jerusalem because they were sure this was going to happen, and it didn't go that way at all. The triumphal entry happened, which really set up. You've got to think everybody now is like, this is it, right? Woo-hoo! And then all of a sudden, he's arrested. Mock trials happen. He's beaten. He's crucified. He dies. He goes. He's buried. And that's what they know. And, and they're just a wreck. Everything that they'd hoped for was done, and so they, they leave. And, and what's happening in this story, what I want you to see, is they're walking away from their hope. And it's really difficult. And, and I want to say to you, too, sometimes we go through some rough things in life, and we, we, we might walk away from our hope as well. But when you know who your hope is in, and what he's going to do, he's going to see you through it, and he cares about it. And, and I'm often amazed by this in the story. Je- this is resurrection day. Jesus has just defeated death. He, de- he defeated sin, you know, a couple of days before, and then, now he's defeated death. Pretty big moment. You know where he spends two or three hours of resurrection day? Walking on the road with Cleopas and his wife. Because their hope has been messed up. You need to know that God cares about you and he cares about what you're going through and he wants to make sure that your hope is in him and he will go to great lengths to be with you and comfort you and encourage you and you need to know that about the God that we're in relationship with. That's who he is and that's the love he has for you. I also, I got to say this too, I was thinking before I got started, there's a couple of people here and you're, you're, you're kind of here because you felt like you had to come this morning. You got dragged here or something. This is not a coincidence. And I believe that there are some things that are going to happen. You're going to hear some things that are going to change you today forever. So take that in. Okay. So they're on their way, leaving. Jesus comes up. And, and uh, I love that Jesus comes up and he's, he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And, and Cleopas, he's so funny. He's like, you don't, don't you know what's going on? You're the only one, he says, in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's happened these last three days. And I love the fact that he's saying that to Jesus, who is actually the only one who knows what's going on. The scripture is amazing, right? You look at that and you just got to chuckle. And, uh, and so they, they, they're walking away and Jesus comes up and he says, what's going on? And this is the big deal. We had hoped. Remember, this series is about hope. So that's why all this ties in. We had hoped that something big was about to happen. But the chief priest, Luke 24, 20, and our rulers handed him over, Jesus, to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. We had hoped. Well, see, what they don't understand, because there wasn't a military overthrow, is they're missing what God did do, which was even better than overthrowing Rome. Jesus has come, fully God, fully man, and he's defeated sin and death. That needed to happen. It's a much bigger thing that took place, but they've missed it because it wasn't what they were looking for. You hear me say this in the weeks ahead. Often we'll miss the kingdom of God because it's not what we're looking for. But, but you want to just keep your eyes open to what he is doing because that's where things are happening and that's what's going on. And so their hope's a little wrecked, but Jesus has come alongside because 
Crucifixion is what had to happen. Resurrection is what had to happen in order to deal with the big problems. Rome wasn't the problem. Sin and death were the problem. It was sin and death. that the, It was the enemy that was behind it all. He was the problem. That was a problem. And Jesus deals with that. And so it had to happen. And it was this point in history. It was this point in time when Jesus could come and take on all of the sin of the world and all of its consequences and marshal them together in one point in time and deal with all of it there on the cross. He took all that sin on. He died with it. He left it down there, defeated death, rose again. See, this is what needed to happen. His blood. A lot of the songs we were singing about were about the blood of Jesus. That's what's happening in that whole story. He covers sin. He deals with sin. He puts it down, and it's dealt with. So they couldn't see what was happening, but it was absolutely what needed to happen because Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's Scripture. Now, I've been telling you that in in almost every one of these messages, that everything is pointing to Jesus. When you read the Old Testament, when you... Because we have these lenses now. Because, you know, John told us that Jesus was the Word, and the Word was with God, and He was God, and He became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled. Now we can begin to see through the cross and the resurrection what all the stories meant and how they tied together. We saw that in Mark. Now we're seeing it in Luke. They're going to make these amazing connections. And in Luke's chapter that he read, he, Jesus himself tells us, hey, it's all pointing at me. And I love that. Verse 22. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. They didn't find his body. And they came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as women had said. But they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, I love this, how foolish you are. That's to Cleopas and his wife. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, you're foolish if you don't look at the bigger story and begin to see what's really happened. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And verse 27 should be there. It's not. It's very important. Write it down and look at it. Look at it and look at it later. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So going back to the very beginning, picking it up in Genesis and walking its way through the scripture, he says, look, you need to see how it's all about me. Don't you? I, I, I just really can't wait to see that on the, on the heavenly YouTube channel. <sighs> what? How? But we see, but we can look now and we sort of know Luke is tying it together and we can go back and we can see how it was all about Jesus, you know, from Genesis on what God is doing to make a way for us. And and so there's these all these cool things that are happening, all the scriptures about him. Well, that reminded me of this thing. Remember last week we were talking about timetable and we talked about Jubilee, Jubilees and the time that was happening. Well, Jesus fulfills scriptures in these amazing ways. And there's a chunk of scripture, and it was a big point in my life when I read these and I saw how God was so involved intimately in things that he was doing. And this is in Leviticus chapter 23. And Leviticus chapter 3 is important because if you were a a good religious Jewish person uh, in the Old Testament, if you didn't know any of the other Bible, you knew Leviticus 23. You would have memorized it because it's about the seven feasts of Israel. And there's seven feasts in there. And the reason you would have known it, because you had to keep the sixth one every year. If you missed the sixth one, you were out. Pretty significant. If you missed it, you were out. And so these feasts are outlined. 
that they were to celebrate every year, the people of Israel. So after the Exodus, here come these feasts, and every year they would go through these feasts, and they were to do it year after year after year after year after year. And they told a story. But the amazing thing is, they were always all about Jesus. And if they'd been doing it and doing it and doing it, they should be able to see Jesus in it. And you say, well, what do you you mean? Well, if you remember that Last Supper starts what? On a Passover. And Passover is the first of the seven feasts that's listed in Israel. And so there's Passover, unleavened bread, early first fruits, Pentecost, um, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Those are the seven. And so it always started at the same time every year. And it started... The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. Twilight. Things, a lot of things in, in the Israel always started at night, sunset, next day. All those things are happening. And the other cool thing when you're reading the Old Testament, it's a lunar cycle, 28-day lunar cycle, because you could get very good at looking at the moon and figuring out what day of the month it was, if you'd done it your whole life. We can't do that with a solar cycle, because if you look at the sun like that, you go blind. Or you see spots at the very least. Help. (sighs) But you can look at the moon and figure it out. So they could figure out where these things were supposed to happen. And all of the feasts would tie back to this first one, Passover. Because once you got this one right, then the dates would just fall in line for you for the rest of the year. So Passover begins twilight on the 14th day of the first month. Uh, and, And so that was going on. Now, let me pop here. So what's Passover all about? And what did he do? And how did Jesus fulfill Passover. Well, if you remember, Passover was a celebration of the uh, in the Exodus of the, the the victory over the tenth plague. Remember, the the people of God were rescued from the angel of death. And what they would do is they took a lamb and they took the blood of the lamb and put it on their doorpost. And when the angel of death came, he passed over any of the doorposts that were covered and sprinkled in the blood of the lamb. And so they were to celebrate that. Every year as time went on. Uh, And they were to take a lamb. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day. So they would actually have these one-year-old lambs or sheep with them for a few days. The idea was they would make an attachment so that it just wasn't an easy thing when they had to kill the lamb to eat it. It was a a connection that was made. And... um, the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight, then they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames at the houses where they eat the lambs. So this was a celebration, a remembrance of that first part in the Exodus. Well, how's that tying with Jesus? The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And even Jesus says, Look, he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it. All of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So uh, here's, here's the picture then of sort of the celebration of Passover. And Jesus is the lamb that sacrificed. And his blood, instead of putting it over the door frames, we put it over us. And now the angel of death passes over us. We've already gone from, from death to life in Christ. Our eternal life has begun. It all happened on the exact day that it should have happened according to the feast. And well, you go, well, okay, so big deal. He could have made that one happen. Well, the next one is called unleavened bread. And it begins on the next night. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. In Leviticus 23, on the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days, you must eat bread without yeast. Now, 
what do we know in the New Testament is that Jesus is our bread, right? Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So Jesus was buried at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread because his body was put in the tomb at the sundown of Passover and the days shifted right there. So he hits that one perfectly too as the bread that we understand. He's our unleavened bread. So we got Passover, which he fulfills perfectly at the right time. And now he fulfills, well, second one. That's pretty cool. Unleavened bread. Well, what's next? Well, the third uh, feast and the next feast is called First Fruits. And First Fruits was the very first little harvest that Israel had that they were to celebrate. And it occurs on the day after that Sabbath. So that would be on the Sunday. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. So that's what's taking place. Well, just in the same way that Jesus fulfills Passover and fulfills unleavened bread, he fulfills this one, first fruits. Paul says, look, for as an Adam, all die. So in Christ, all we made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits. And then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come when he hands the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So Jesus hits that one perfectly. All right? First fruits. He's the first fruits. Paul gets it. And he even does that little, there's this sheaf offering thing, this little wave offering that happens back then on the first one. Hey, wave that. When, well, where did he do that? Well, there's this crazy passage that you should read in Matthew 27. And it, it's very hard to say. This is exactly all that this means. But I just think it's this wave offering. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. The rocks split. And the tombs broke open. And the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. It's a wave offering. It's like, whoop, look at this. Whee! There's so many there's so many things that are happening in the story because that's what's going on. Here's Jesus. Now, he's fulfilling these feasts of Israel that they've been doing for a long, long time. And he's hitting them perfectly to the day. And these things are happening because he is who he says he is. Well, the very next one, I'm not going to be able to get to them all in in scriptural detail is in Acts chapter two. You know what the next one is? Pentecost. It happens 50 days later. It's another festival of harvest festival. Well, what happens on Pentecost, everybody? Holy Spirit shows up. Peter preaches and thousands are added to the church that day. It's another harvest. And Holy Spirit fulfills it perfectly. So the first four of the seven are fulfilled perfectly. What's next? Trumpets. Well, we're not there yet. We're waiting, right? Aren't we? we understand scripture. We're waiting on trumpet sound. That's my trumpet. It sounds like a bad elephant. That's what we're waiting for. What is that told? What do we, how do we know that is? That's the end of the harvest, the big harvest. We had a little mini harvest. Then we had a bigger harvest. And now we're waiting on the final harvest. And we're, we're the ones that are out making a harvest for God. We're the ones trying to get people in. God so loves the world, right? So we're telling people about Jesus so that before that trumpet sounds, people have come to choose and decide that they want to be with Jesus forever. They want that whole situation. They, they see and respond to the hope that we have and respond to Jesus. And then very quickly, after trumpet sound, the next two happen. The sixth one is atonement. You, you can we say it atonement, but you need at one ment is what it means. Remember, for the, I'm always saying that, that there's this connection that God wants to have us, with us, and that's what's going to happen. He, that's all going to take place. And what's that last one? 
Tabernacles. If you've been listening to this message every week, I talk about what that means. Tabernacles. Boom. Everything is restored to that cosmic temple, tabernacle situation we had in Genesis. That's what we're waiting on. And here's Jesus fulfilling these things. And here's what I always think. If he's done the first four so perfectly, you can count on them last three happening. And we're just waiting. God's got a timetable. We don't know it, but he's given us stuff to do in the meantime. And Holy Spirit is here and we're to help people come in. Because, see, God's heart is to dwell with us. God, it's, it's over and over and over again in the scripture. He just wants to dwell with us. We keep going our own way. But, but he, wants, he wants people who want to dwell with him. And so he gives us the choice. Right? That's the whole thing. People sometimes oh, he's a big meanie. No, he's so loving that he wants to be in relationship with people, but he wants to make sure that that's what people choose as well. If it wasn't an option, it wouldn't be a good thing. Right? And, and that's the reality. It's a choice that we get to make. But he's so faithful that we can choose him, and it's amazing. I want to get to one more story before we go. Because this is how Luke ends. And I always call this story Supper to Supper to Supper. And you, you may have heard me told the story before. But the connections are so amazing that you need to have them. And they need to connect with you. And it's about uh, these suppers that take place in the scripture. And Luke puts this here on purpose. Because he wants to connect us back to Genesis. And, and something that happens there that's very, very important. So we know the story as we read it, that Jesus is invited into the house. I, they invited him in because he was going to go farther. I love that. Jesus, Jesus will not force himself on you. You invite Jesus. It's a pretty big deal. Somebody needed to hear that. It's, you invite Jesus. When he was in, so they invite him in. And when he's at the table with him, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. So that's the, the Luke account of something that happens. But uh, it's very cool because Luke is tying this in back into the Old Testament. And this is the opposite of something happened to another couple. That's why I believe it was a couple. And the other couple uh, you probably have heard of was Adam and Eve. Pretty well-known couple, right? And look what happens back at the fall, Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And so that's the beginning of the mess that happens. That's the beginning of the fall. That's when sin enters and when death enters into the world and ruins everything. And the enemy gets in and gets authority that was ours. And all that stuff has happened. And you need to see that what happens is the verbs that describe those things were took, ate, gave. Took, ate, gave. That's how the fall happened. That's what took place. And all of us fall into sin because of that. And the first Adam, you know, took all that on. But... When we get to the New Testament, at the Last Supper, and we already thought at Passover, Jesus does something different, and he initiates the New Covenant. And while they were there eating, Jesus took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Well, now that's different than their normal Passover meal. Jesus does something completely different. And so, what is he doing there? Well... Paul tells us, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. He does the same thing that happened earlier, because those three verbs are in here as well. Take, eat, give. Take, eat, give. And you remember from the first fall, it was take, eat, and give. Jesus does it, but what he's doing is that the same way that we fell into sin, he's using those same words and he's restoring us. 
back into relationship with God. It's the most amazing thing. And so what Jesus is doing is beautiful, is that he's, he's making things right. I keep telling you, that's what he's doing. He's, he's taking everything that was hurtful in Adam, and he's beginning to set it right. So you have, you have that very first thing at the fall, then you have that with Jesus at the Last Supper. Well, now Jesus does something here with Cleopas and his wife. And at the Emmaus Supper, he serves communion. And, and so... If you remember, back in Genesis 3-7, after they ate, the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig uh, leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They, they, their eyes were open and they realized that they'd sinned. But at the Emmaus Supper, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to him. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Eyes were opened again. Now, it disappeared from the sight. You just need to know that's a heaven and earth overlap thing. It wasn't a magic trick. He just went into another realm. He could do that. Um, and, and so he was gone. But, but when, when they are given from Jesus communion, basically their eyes are opened and they knew him, the one who takes away shame and guilt. See, Luke was painting the picture there of redemption. Redemption had begun. It started right before he goes to the cross, and then it's completed when he's on the other side of it with resurrection. And, and so this redemption meal, he's sort of redone the Passover, and now it's something completely different. And that's what we need to know. And, and so there's that beautiful picture going on there of redemption and what's happening. And we need to be looking into the Scripture and reading these things and seeing how they point. Everything points to Jesus and the life that he has for us so that our hope, so we keep our hope fixed so we don't get hopeless. Our hope, we can, we can hang on to our hope because he is faithful. Even when we're not, he's faithful. And he's made a way for us, for us to be reconciled to him forever. Alice, why don't you come up and we're going to pray. And you know, let me just say, because the, the Bible is not just a, a bunch of stories that were kind of tossed together, that are just good moral stories. Some people think of the Bible that way. They're not. It's the very Word of God. And, and you need to begin to see how they tie together, because some of you have, have been missing what God is doing and what God wants to do with you, because you just think, oh, it's a bunch, it's a bunch of kids' stories or something. Oh, it's not. There's life in in all of it. And God wants you to know him and to be in relationship with him. And he wants to to bring you into the most amazing life that's ever been available. And that's the life that we have with Christ. And it's awesome. There's nothing like it. It's an adventure. Holy Spirit comes and he leads and he guides. And we begin to see God at work. We're not just waiting for something, oh, well, back, you know, in the sweet by and by. It's now. And, and too many people aren't experiencing the now that we're supposed to have as believers. And I just want to encourage you to embrace what he's doing and to look for him. And, and to not get stuck in what you think ought to be and realize that he's bigger than that. And start really seeing what he's doing with you and in you and for you and in the world around you. And you'll be amazed. There is no life like this life in Christ. None. And so I would just encourage you, if you've never done it before, just say yes to Jesus. Jesus, will you be my Lord and Savior? It's the best decision you will ever make. And there's some of you who need to make it this morning. It's, you're not here by coincidence. 
You're here because th- this is the beginning for you. It's the beginning of your everlasting life. It's, it's, it's a crucial moment. It's God's timetable for you today. And, and you just say, you just need to say yes to Jesus. Alice? Steve said that there's some of you here, you're going to hear something you need to hear today. But I would take that even further and say that you're feeling things that you need to feel while you hear them. And I think you're having memories of the Lord when you were a child. And God just wants, just says those things to you to encourage you to ask him back into your heart or take that step like Steve just said. And then I have a couple words from our pastors on staff and Pastor... Um, Angie has one, and she said, someone just feels forgotten. God has forgotten me. He doesn't see me. God says to you this morning, I, period, see, period, you, period, I see you. Your silhouette is the pupil of my eye. You are the apple of my eye. I see you. The Lord spoke to me this week and told me that there was someone has shin splints and it's worse in your right leg and I was praying Tuesday and I think it was really bad on Tuesday I don't know if you went to the doctor I don't know what happened but I pray that you will hear this and know that the Lord sees you and he wants to heal you and then I felt like someone is in a a work situation and it's a difficult work situation and you've been praying for answers you've been praying for God show me how to how to resolve this show me how to do this and the Lord wants you to know today that he's sending you the answer, and it's going to be really simple. Like he's going to open your eyes, and you're going to know it's him, and you're going to say, oh, thank you, Lord, that was you. You opened my eyes, and it's way easier than you think because this is kind of overwhelming you. And then Pastor Georgina had a had a word during um, when, when McKay was singing, Are You Ready? And it, she said, Jesus is enough. And she said, someone needs to feel that and hear that, that Jesus is more than enough for whatever you're facing, for he is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.20. The end. Amen. Amen. Listen. Jesus knocks on the door. You open it. If you've never opened it, do it today. Jesus, will you be my Lord and Savior? Best decision you will ever make in your life, I promise. If you do it, will you text the word heart to me so I can celebrate with you? 305-745-7513. But that's what he does. He knocks. We answer, Jesus, will you be my Lord and Savior? He's done it all for us on the cross. Why don't you just lead us through that prayer? You want me to do it? Yes, I do. So it's a, it's a simple prayer. If you've never prayed it, then, then you can just pray it with me. And, and just so repeat after me if you want to pray it. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of all my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And Papa, I pray that, that all those who, who prayed that today, God, that you would just fill them up now with your Holy Spirit. And that they would know that you love them and that you're for them and that you're with them all the days of their life, God. So bless them, Lord, I pray. Thank you, church, for your amazing generosity. You're awesome, and we appreciate you. It's such a cool thing to be here with you and to be in this ministry together with you. Let's sing the doxology, and uh, we'll watch it rain children. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
May the Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you and give you peace. Go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. We'll see you soon. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dad. Please go out these doors. They'll be open for you. Have a great day. Catch some fish. Hope your team wins. See you later. Bye. And thanks for watching online. We love you guys. Jesus, he's amazing. And uh, I hope you have an amazing life this week. Read your Bibles. You won't regret it. Amen. Bye. Bye.